I call them so hard, employees wanna find me. And then wanna hire me. What's 100k to a guy like me? Could you please remind me? Fall so hard, this ain't easy. Working late nights, you best believe me. My grades can only go ace. Never wanna see another B unless I'm Jay-Z. Fall so hard, let's get paid. Hey guys, it's Jim Pruitt here. You guys can be listening to our first live episode on the Farm So Hard Fun of the Sun Tour. Again, this is going to be me interviewing Jim Priano out of Advent Health Orlando, talking about TPA versus Tenecta Place. We're going to go ahead and apologize in advance. The audio is not as clear. Again, we found some solutions to that that will take place in the next episode. So again, sit back and relax and enjoy the first Fun of the Sun episode from Orlando. Welcome, guys, to the first ever Farm So Hard, a live episode. Again, of course, guys, it's me, Jim Pruitt, a.k.a. Farm D and ED, and I'm super excited to have the person who got me into ED, who really got me moving forward. I have Jim Priano, the man, the legend himself, the pent master, here today to talk to us about TPA versus the new boy on the block, Tenecta Place. We can call this one Talking Heads, right? Oh, boy, you give me too much credit. <laughs> Thanks for having me, man. So super excited to go about this. And it's going to be a little different. Again, most people do presentations in this setting. And for me, I want to just be able to go through some information, ask some questions, uh, drink a few beers, just have a good time, and just have everyone together and just go through a few things. So I really just wanted to see. So talk about a few things. But before we get too deep into all of this, let's kind of just bring things back and just talk about just the heart and the brain and yeah. the team behind that. So the talk, like, why should, why, why should we even care about these things? So, I mean, when we think of uh, in the gross sense, an ischemic stroke is really just like a, a STEMI of sorts of the brain, right? And STEMI management has really outpaced um, uh, stroke management. They're about 20, 20 years ahead yeah. or so. And so if we just think that um, a STEMI is going to have a blockage for some reason, of a coronary artery, uh, causing some cardiac ischemia and, and uh, downstream effects. Um, well, it's not too um, dissimilar from what's going on in the brain for ischemic strokes. You got a clot, wh- whether it's thrombotic, embolic, it d- doesn't really matter. You got a clot forming tissue ischemia, and we got to open up uh, the artery and so we can restore perfusion to the brain. So I think the way I always think of this is that I'm just a real simple guy. Again, you're the smart one. I'm just the one that's here. I think of it. I think of all of this as like my toilet's clogged up. We got to open <laughs> and, it. And or I have like my, my, my shower is messed up because someone is you know washing their hair with all these nice products and, and the yeah. shower's clogged up and I got to get some Drano. Yeah. And just bust that clot bottle. Because because if you don't bust that clot, you're gonna have some bad downstream events. Yeah. And, right? and a plumber cost is gonna be much higher than, <laughs> than the, the five dollars for the drain out. Exactly. So I think of this as like I, I want to just be able to create that flow to where nothing's backing up yep. and there's nothing happening in the downstream. So but, but again, like but using that analogy, um, you could open up that that drain using a lot of different methods, mm-hmm. right? But some are gonna cause some havoc downstream yeah. and might involve you know, plumbing uh, explosions de- uh, on mm-hmm. the other side. And, and so we're trying to do it in the most logical and safe yeah. process, yeah. whether it's plumbing or doing the plumbing in the brain. <laughs> so, again, I think that's the big thing. But I think a lot of this, you talked about how we're really behind. And I think I, I gave a presentation doing residency with you when I first heard about throwing back to me. Yep. And I was like, our heart, our brains are going to follow our heart for once. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I, every time I think like, hey, this is in 2017, 
And we really haven't really had the, the luxury of getting together and say, hey, we've been doing this since the 90s in the heart. Yep. But give us like a timeline of like what was going on as far as like from an acute myocardial infection and infarction standpoint and like where, we, where, where have we come? Yes. So the, the heart is, um, we, we can say it's a, a simpler organ yeah. than the brain. And so therefore we're able to maybe advance our knowledge of it a little faster. Yeah. But I mean, going back to the, the Middle Ages, um, they used to just treat um, uh, STEMIs or people having chest pain with just pure bed rest. Um, and this, this progressed for hundreds of years. And it wasn't even until like the, um, the 50s where did they develop these uh, um, uh, coronary or cardiac uh, critical care units. And they actually dedicated the entire unit for treating the heart. And this is where they started um, first using uh, streptokinase. Um, streptokinase to, tr- to derive literally from um, bacteria. Uh, to try to lice open uh, some of these vessels. And then, but they were finding that there's a little bit of a bleeding and some allergic reactions going on with the streptokinase, and so they thought there has to be a, a better option. And so um, back in, in uh, 1990 was um, a, a trial comparing streptokinase to alteplase uh, in STEMIs, and they find out that um, alteplase works just as well, but it has less bleeding. And so therefore, let's, hey, let's try to use this new kid on the block, use this alteplase drug. And so um, they, try to, they try to change up the infusion strategies of alteplase to make it a little bit more preferred as it's a little uh, short acting, and, um, but it still wasn't perfect. Yeah. And so we were, they were um, trying other methods. Be like, hey, is there, is there a better drug? And so they, they said, well, what if we change up some things with the lytic and we try this new one called tenecteplase? And we're finding that, hey, it works just as well as alteplase, but even less bleeding. But what, what really changed um, uh, was in the 80s when we started using the uh, – um, or 80s and 90s, rather. We started using um, uh, PCI. We, we, took, we started treating these patients as surgical emergencies. And so uh, the GUSO uh, trials um, where they compared um, PCI or the cath lab um, to this new uh, accelerated alteplase and is a new paradigm for how we treat STEMIs, Right. You have a STEMI coming in the ED, you don't even think about, oh, should we get our TPA ready? Yeah. It's, it's which cath lab are they going to right now, right? And so, so it's, um, we're getting that way with uh, stroke management, but we're, we're about 20-ish years behind. Yeah. It's, it's something that I think is interesting, and it's like we have all these tools available to us, and our technology is much better. And I'm thinking like, man, yep. like it's, for one, I ask myself, is PCI going to get better? Is it something we, we're just not talking about? And is, are we going to be able to get deeper and deeper in the brain yep. and basically suck out these clots oh, I can't to, wait. To, to get better? So we'll, yep. we'll wait a little later from that. But again, let's talk about some of the historic <laughs> stroke management because I did some stuff on this and I thought it was funny, like some of the, the things physicians were saying back in like the 16 and 1800s, like, don't even try. Yeah. Like you make yourself look horrible. Don't even try. Oh, it's, so it, history. it's amazing. So, so something I asked my residents is, Something is as very simple as why do they call it a stroke, yeah. right? And they're like, oh, I, I don't know. And if you actually look up the entomology of the word stroke, it's coming from the stroke of God's hand yeah. that you were stricken. And so that's why the person is, is having the, the prototypical um, stroke findings. Yeah. And so they used to just treat this, they, they called it apoplexy. You were suffering from the stroke of God. Yeah. And so we, we stuck with this for hundreds of years. And so... I was talking to some um, more senior physicians uh, in the ED, gosh, maybe a few weeks ago, and he said that when he did his residency back in the 80s, 1980s, he goes, 
we weren't even in a rush to get a CAT scan of people who were having a stroke. Wow. Because if you had an ischemic or a hemorrhagic, it didn't matter then. Mm. How about that? Like, to now, it's like, you better get there. <laughs> Don't even get off the stretch. You got 10 minutes. Like, Go. Get to there now. Do not, do not cut 200, 200. Go straight yep. to the cath lab. Yep. Versus then it's like, oh, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Yep. And think, well, I think sometimes we think about these time periods being such a small period of time, but we've been looking at this condition for hundreds of years, and then we say, oh, well, after the, in the 90s, we, we start doing something a little different. Now we could actually treat it. And we changed the entire management and the systems and the, how we even think about stroke is completely different Absolutely. over the last 20 years. So great for modern medicine, but I think it's pretty intriguing when we start looking at a timeline of like, this is not even something you can treat. Yep. It doesn't, doesn't even matter in the 80s where we, most of us, all of us, should know someone yep. that was in, uh, in a, an adult in the 80s. <laughs> So, so, so really just um, in the past 30 years, yeah. is we could provide uh, some treatment uh, for these people with ischemic stroke. And so um, back in 92 uh, was the first time they thought of using um, Alteplase. Yeah. So again, it's already been being used for STEMIs. Yeah. But now they say, hey, it's kind of like a STEMI of the brain. Yeah. Let's try it. Let's, let's give a, do- a dose-ranging study. And they, they ended up at this uh, uh, 0.85 or round, round to a 0.9 make per kg because any, any dose higher – Ended up bleeding a little bit too much, um, but th- then we had that pivotal trial, the, the NINs part ones and two, right? Yeah, yeah that's a big one. Um, back in '95, uh, and and so alt place versus uh, standard of care, and it is it's definitely true. We, we can probably we're not doing a journal club on yeah, that one. Say, we, we, yeah, we don't want to go deep dive. Yeah, anyone who knows me, if you, if you guys are watching, if you if you know me, if you want to get me fired up, let's let's talk about study study designs and how we just I call it statistical gymnastics. We just made things happen, and it just it, it just rolled that way. Long we, story that, short, that, that's, that's, it's FDA approved. Yep, and there's a lot of belief and money going towards making sure that. Yep. So. Well, and, and so with that being said, with this, the continued search to try to make things better, yeah. right? Because it was not without its, its flaws. Yeah. I mean, that gives us hours of discussion for one trial, and so we wanted to see, well, could other lytics work? Yeah. And so they tried the streptokinase, and well, it didn't it didn't work. Yeah. And now they're, we're trying um, to connect the place, and we're saying. Maybe it works, but then again, similar to PCI in, in uh, STEMI, well, actually, it might be a surgical emergency. Mm-hmm. Twenty fifteen, you have five huge trials that says let's take that clot out, yeah. and the, and these patients are doing night and day better within an hour or two. Yeah. But it, it's definitely intriguing. But I won't I won't belabor that. That's that whole thing by by itself. Um, we we talked about alter place, but just very briefly, like for people who just seeing this, and we may chop this up. How, how does alteplase work? What's yep. the thing with alteplase? Alteplase, it just goes and and uh, and activates um, um, plasminogen to cleave plasmin to start munching up a clot. Yeah. And so they call it a powerful clot buster, and it just um, is an exogenous. So so we are giving additional um, uh, drug that's already in us. Mm-hmm. We have circulating um, um, tissue plasminogen activator in us already. And this is just um, a mega booster dose to go and dissolve any clot anywhere in your body. I try to explain it is like, okay, we have a we, we have a fish in a net, right? And we have a fish net. We the fishes are out there, and you have this big thing in there, and that's your clot. And I think of it, you have these huge scissors that are coming and it's yep. cutting that net open, and that's what TPA does. That's that's the big thing. It just goes through and it just cuts up and lets all these things free, yep. so you can go through it, but. It happens everywhere in the body. Everywhere in the body. It's, it's not really um, uh, specific, and, and it does uh, cause some depletion of uh, certain uh, protective 
uh, enzymes, and, and so maybe have a little bit of uh, bleeding. But um, yeah, maybe if there's a better way. Perfect. Now a word from our episode sponsor. Hey guys, I know you've been wondering how did Jimmy get these new sponsorships for the Form So Heart podcast, and I want to go ahead and put you guys in the loop. I've started using a platform called Podcorn, and what Podcorn is is a platform that connects podcasters to other amazing podcast sponsorship opportunities such as host read ads, interview segments, topical discussions, and more. The cool thing I like about Podcorn is that there's no middleman. Podcasters of all sizes can browse and choose opportunities right on the platform, set your own rates, and collaborate with the brands directly without any exclusivities. The other cool part is they're not asking for any rights to the podcast. They really just make it to where you can get compensated for your work. The Marketplace mission is to give podcasters transparency, creative freedom, and full control of how and when they monetize. So guys, go ahead and check out the link in my show notes. Sign up for Podcorn and see all the different sponsorships, opportunities they have for you today. And what are some of like the things that are the downside of all the place? Why should we even look for something different? Yes, yeah, so, so it's maybe not perfect. So it has like a half-life in like the minutes range, about like, like five or six minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and with this, this being said, it does require a loading dose. Mm-hmm. So we give that 10% over a minute and then, and then the remainder over an hour. So a continuous infusion for an hour. Um, we, it does have that bleeding risk. So the, some of the studies are saying it's around six ish to 7% yeah. of, uh, of synthetic, um, ICH, which is a concern. Um, but that now we're finding that it actually it might not work in certain populations. Yeah. And so if you have like a large clot burden, or like a large vessel occlusion, it might not actually get uh, around to the entire thrombus okay. and to dissolve it all. And um, uh, it may be in centers that that don't have maybe dedicated ED pharmacists, and you and you have a, a nurse driven stroke protocol. It might be complicated to do a weight based dosing yeah. with the bolus and infusion as well, which could lead to errors. Yeah, that, that's one thing, and that's I think that's what made me think about this. The, the new kid on the block. I, I, it shouldn't necessarily be too new. Not too new. But it's just a new, a newer kid on, on the block for us for stroke. For the brain, yeah. yeah. Because again, it's been being used for STEMIs yeah, for, um, for, for 20, 30 years. TNAK, so it's an active place. Like, yep. uh, what, what's the, the, the gist of that? What's the unique thing about so, that? So the gist for, uh, for TNKAs is, is literally uh, three substitutions of the alteplase molecule. Um, they, they substitute at the, the T site, the N site, and the K site. Um, and synergistically, this, this gives it, one, a longer half-life, um, more fibrin-selective, and it, it, uh, it prevents degradation. And so we're able to give it as a um, five-second bolus, and it lasts longer, so you don't need the contingent infusion, and um, it might be more fibrin-specific, and so it's a little bit, in theory, has less bleeding. Okay. We'll, we'll, we'll tell that later on. All right, perfect. So, like, when we take a step back and we, we look at some of the the dosing and things of that nature, if you mentioned it, that that place is going to be in a bolus, just over a couple seconds. Alter place is going to be a bolus and an infusion. What about dosing? What what, what what do we see as far as an alter place and then for an place? Yep. So, so the classic dosing, um, at least in North America, is going to be the the point nine mg per kg with the ten percent bolus, mm-hmm. followed by the the ninety percent infusion over an hour. For tenecteplase, the dose that is most uh, currently accepted yeah. is just this one-time 0.25 uh, mix per kg cap at 25 milligrams IV push once. Yeah, and I, I believe that just just that part right there is probably controversial as well. I've had many people reach out and say, hey, my doc wants to use tenecteplase and he wants to use this dose. Yep. 
and that dose may or may not be what's the most commonly, you know, utilized, but that, that's, that's yeah. a different thing. But it's just every part of this conversation can be its own sidebar and we can, we can go into that. But I think just looking at those two is saying, okay, we have one that's a little bit more fragment selective. We have one that's a little bit, that has a little bit more fibrinogen degradation. That's something that's unique. And then one of the things that we look at, and I think our providers think we look at a lot more, <laughs> is the cost. Yeah. I know we, you know, we have these, these different, you know, different ways we can, we can cost up. Generally, we yep. would say, is one more expensive? Is one, you know, is similar? What's the deal? With that? In, in general, again, it depends on, on your uh, purchasing power, um, but Snack Place is about 25% cheaper okay. than Alt Place. So I think a lot of the times when we hear, our colleagues say, oh, you guys just want to use this drug because it's cheaper and we can talk, talk about studies and stuff later on. But I think it's unique to say the newer kid on the block is actually a little cheaper. Yeah. So, again, newer, I, I know this has been a while for quite a while since I was probably in, in elementary school. But, again, it's, it's unique to say that this thing that we are suggesting, it has, it has an argument for it. It may be a little Ab- easier to get. Absolutely. It's a little cheaper. Might be safer. Might be safer. So we, we can dive a little deep into that. And I don't want to go too much into some of the, the background. But if you if you want to talk about some of the, uh, the efficacy and like what are we looking at? Yes. Yeah, so so big picture. Um, back in the nineties, when Alteplace was being studied to standard of care, like in the NINS trials, we we're really just trying to do these. Uh, various scales and see how well does Alteplase versus placebo work at improving the MRS or the NIHSS um, uh, stroke assessment scales. And, but they're not necessarily perfect because it's the, it's the physical ramifications of, of the stroke. It's not necessarily the exact what's going on in the brain, right? And so, but for years, that's what we used. And, and so um, Alteplase got approved because it uh, improves your odds of having a favorable um, outcome three months later yeah. uh, in some of the, some of these uh, stroke scales. Um, but nowadays we're um, we're actually able to visualize the the stroke, yeah. right? We didn't have the, this um, in more advanced imaging technology, and so th- those 2015 trials that look at large vessel occlusions mm-hmm. they require you to actually look at the area of infarct or, or, or um, uh, penumbra. And so we could use um, CT-guided um, imaging if you have IV contrast currently, um, and, you can, and you can calculate what area of the brain is being suffocated yeah. and what can you save or can you not save, yeah. and it's only risk. Yeah. And so now we can help um, uh, rule in these patients, and, and then you take them up to the neuro IR suite, and you can you could actually say, hey, if we get reperfusion, we have a really good chance of Same favorable thing. outcome. Yeah. Right? So that, that's the unique part about all of this, knowing that we have – all of this component, we, we, we mentioned very briefly in the past, like, what do we get with place? You know, what, 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 what yeah. do we get? And for better or for worse, we know that potentially we get 30% improvement and modified rankings go. And this, again, you mentioned 90 days. Yeah. I, I love it when my, my team say, oh, my God, Jimmy. It's working. <laughs> Just like that. You, you, you got two seconds of the bolus in and the patient is rapidly improving. You saved this man's life. You know, but most of the data, again, the only ones that I know, you know, maybe I'm not smart enough to know some of these trials that haven't been published yet that says that you save people within minutes of getting PPA. But what all the places says is that 90 days and then, you know, 10% reperfusion rate in these large vessel occlusions that you yep. mentioned. And then the bleeding risk you mentioned as well. Again, symptomatic. That's I there. Yep. Not the 
not, oh, I just accidentally saw this on the CT for something else. Like, this is the real deal. Yep. Um, and I, I think it's unique for everyone out there. It's like, pay attention to what we even call symptomatic ICH. That's that's another discussion there. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. That's particular hemorrhages. <laughs> um, but, we, again, we mentioned a lot about, like, these large vessel occlusions and how, how to manage them. Can you kind yeah. of go a little deeper into that? Yes. So the large vessel ones, um, we're thinking that this is going to be, like, the middle cerebral, like, the internal carotid or maybe a basilar artery. So they, these are the... the Large vessels we can visualize on a contrast-enhanced CT. Yep. Um, we could access uh, with some of our thrombectomy or like our stent retrievers yep. in the narrow IR suite, um, and these and these can be managed a little bit differently um, because they could be a surgical emergency, yep. like the MR Clean trials, Swift Primal, all those um, compared to the uh, uh, medical uh, therapies like from the NINS trials. Um, now with the LVOs. The, the stroke guidelines, it still says, uh, continue to offer alteplase yeah. uh, to these patients with a level 1A recommendation because it is standard of care. And so alteplase beat them to the punch by yeah. 30 years, <laughs> and it is still in the guidelines, um, even though there are some studies that compared uh, LVO management with uh, just mechanical thrombectomy versus thrombectomy plus alteplase, and they found very little difference, maybe just a hmm. bleeding difference. <laughs> uh, I wonder where that was from. Um, but, but then and there's also possibly uh, a theoretical element of concern, right? If, if we're offering these LVO patients um, alteplase, for instance, a lytic, and then we're going up into their brain with a stent retriever and actually manually manipulating the clot, what if that uh, lytic changes the composition, have some, like, uh, thrombus fragment, and then goes more distally, and now we cannot grab that clot, like, did we just make things worse? Yeah. And that's been shown to happen about almost a quarter of the time um, wh where there is uh, fragmentation or distal movement yeah. of the clot. That's, that's big because you think about all of what we're doing. It's like, wait a second, one in four patients? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Be so, because down in the ED, we, we don't necessarily have that uh, downstream yeah. uh, view, yeah. right? And, and so we, we, give, we treat the patients right here, right now. Next. Go upstairs and that's that. So that's, yeah. that's definitely intriguing. And there's some, some data looking at Tenecta Place early on, again, later 2000s that we want to go into. Can we just go through a few of these, like Tenecta Place studies, yeah. to say, you know, what are we even looking at? Because, like, most of the time people hear these conversations like, well, I'm always going to use Alteplace. Yeah. No matter what, the discussion is Alteplace or Mimbectomy. Yep. It's not Alteplace or Tenecta Place. Yep. So let's like, go through a few of those. So, so some of the, the uh, big picture stuff is that we're trying to find a better way, mm -hmm. right? And so... Alteplase is not without its drawbacks, yep. right? We say, hey, it's not really working for these LVOs. Um, is there a better way to do things? Mm -hmm. And so um, they, it was like, I think in 2005, they, start, they started looking into it. And in mm -hmm. 2010, they tried a, a phase two trial for a, a dose-ranging uh, dose study for tenecteplase mm -hmm. in uh, strokes. And so they, they started off with 0 0.1, 0 0 0.25, 0 0.4, and they compared it to alteplase, mm -hmm. really small sample size. Mm -hmm. um, and all they found was... 0.1.25, it works similarly to um, uh, alteplase at these arbitrary uh, endpoints, mm -hmm. and 0.4 might cause a little bit of bleeding. Mm -hmm. And so let's not do 0.4. Yeah. And so they're like, hey, maybe maybe this has some hope. Yeah. Let's let's study more for tenecteplase. So then we got into a little bigger trial. So um, the attest trial is like 100 of patients, um, where they compared 0.25 mix per gig of tenecteplase versus standard alteplase. Um, and their primary outcome is, this, is the surrogate, again, of the um, CT perfusion-guided um, uh, reperfusion at 24-ish uh, hours. 
and they found out that it works just as well. Alteplace versus Tenecteplace gets the same amount of reperfusion in these uh, in the infarcts that they had in the test trial, um, and they had maybe a little less bleeding, but it was not uh, clinically significant yet. So that's unique because again, we, we take a step back and just just the baseline stuff. If it's just the same, we have a drug that's probably easier to give and a little cheaper. And I think people don't, we, we should really emphasize the fact that giving that the process of giving TPA, like I think like. It's not a problem for me, but the system around administering yep. TPA 24 hours a day is challenging. So, like, if we just start to take a step back here in 2015 and say, hey, yep. if it's just working as well, maybe a little less bleeding, I can't have anything strong. This is where things get interesting now. I think this is when 2015, all the thrombectomy trials, all these things are happening, Mr. Clinton is going on, all these great things are happening. It's like, wait a second. This is where I think things really got interesting. And we should start looking at some, some more stuff. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's, let's go to, so, so maybe we should get a bigger, bigger yeah. study, huh? We should get a little bit more. So, the, so the NOR test comes out, 1,100 patients, okay. right? They, they kind of uh, uh, missed the ball where they enrolled mainly minor strokes. Yeah. It was not their own, uh, intentional uh, purpose, but they mainly got an NIH is like 0 to 7 um, and fewer of the moderate to severe strokes. Um, Spoiler alert, just came out recently. Um, and so they, they actually did an intervention of 0.4 mix per cake of Tenecteplase versus standard dose Alteplase. Um, and they didn't really find um, many differences um, between like the um, bleeding rates, the improvement at 24 hours. And so then they wanted to look at, well, well, is there actually some improvement in the more severe strokes? They did a, su- a subgroup analysis of their moderate to severe strokes. Um, and again, no real difference in the moderate ones. Um, these are NIHs of like six to fourteen, and then um, in our severe strokes, there might be a little, might be more bleeding um, uh, and additional uh, rates of mortality. But again, it was not um, uh, powered and super small sample size in the in these severe strokes, um, which they addressed recently. So again, like that that component of having these smaller. These, these milder strokes was, yep. was a big deal. So I think everyone looks at that and says, well, great, that 0.4 makes me kick again wasn't necessarily the most commonly used. But, it, but again, it didn't, it didn't, the 0.4 in the, in the mild strokes didn't show the same amount of bleeding yeah. from our 2010 study. Yeah. And so maybe 0.4 is okay. Yeah. It's not as bad as we thought. Yeah. But again, you go from there, and now we're getting close to like 2018. Yep. So, so 2018, now the extend IATNK comes out with part one and part two. Uh, very well done studies, and so these are CTA confirmed LVOs, yeah. right? Um, and they're using the low dose or 0.25 mix per kg of tenecteplase versus standard alteplase, and they're going for the primary outcome is um, uh, either reperfusion or absence of a retrieval thrombus when that patient goes up to the neuro IR. Okay, that's a new one, right? So, so it's not this surrogate of like uh, of uh, neuro improvement at 24 hours. They are actually going. Is there a clot we can get yeah. in, in a matter of an hour or two, yeah. right? And then they, then they look at some of the more patient-centered outcomes for the secondaries, such as the 90-day MRS and everything else that standard uh, stroke studies look at. So what they find is kind of what we were expecting. Yeah. Tenecteplase works better at getting reperfusion of LVOs yeah. compared to alteplase. It's more fibrin-specific. It's a little bit more potent. And so they're finding about... 22% of the time, by the time the patient goes up to the neuro IR, there's not a, a thrombus to pull out. Perfect. 
versus alt-place only happen about 10% of the time. And so not perfect, but significantly better than alt-place. Part two um, does, does a similar thing, but they, they, look, they come, try to compare 0.4 mates per kg of 10x place versus 0.25. Okay. See, hey, may, maybe if you give a little bit more, you get a little bit more benefit, and they found no difference. Okay. They, get, they get 19% reperfusion regardless of the dose, um, and not really a significant risk of bleeding. Perfect. So Either. Okay. Now we sound okay. Again, we will be still going back and forth between that point four to point yep. five, and it may not make a difference. They, they didn't find the bleeding risk with the point four. Yeah. So now we kind of take a look at everything we have. The earlier studies probably didn't find too much. The later studies yep. again seem to find more and more, and that becomes interesting. And again, it depends on what you're looking for, right? And mm-hmm. so if we're, uh, the early studies are looking at these patient-centered outcomes of like your modified ranking scale at ninety days, and, and like the big big picture things, but um, one, they might not be powered to meet that. And then some of the newer studies are actually looking at the thrombus. Yep. And because we can use that surrogate of um, uh, thrombus reperfusion and, and uh, outcomes, and they're finding it gets better reperfusion. Okay. So it might work. So that's, that's something that makes it intriguing. When we, we look at all this stuff and say, overall, again, it's no worse for the mouths, right? And when we start looking at these patients, and particularly LVOs, I think it's been a big push here. And where we should be looking at. Yeah. It may be a little better. <laughs> and it <the dose laughs> yeah. may not matter. Yeah. And, and, so, and so where we're at is kind of like 0.25 uh, mix per kg is going to be better than alteplase yeah. at, at reperfusing of an LVO, but likely not as good as going into the uh, neuro suite and actually getting a, a stent retriever. Yeah. So I think the big thing is like focusing more on just how can we use this in a lower dose that we can, and then using all the technology that yep. we have to make, to make this happen. So, seems pretty pretty legit. Now, what are the guidelines about all this? Because so, that's what everyone's going to talk about. Oh yeah, we, we have to, we have to default back to the guidelines, right? And so the um, the the most recent guideline update in 2019 is saying that it's reasonable mm-hmm. to do um, uh, to neck place at 0.25 mix per kg mm-hmm. in people who are eligible. For a thrombectomy. So okay. these are only in LVOs. Okay. Can you do the 0.25? Okay. They then give a uh, recommendation that says 0.4 mg per kg is okay for people not eligible. So these small vessel occlusions, they are actually recommending uh, 0.4 if you don't have alt place to offer. Okay. So again, you, you have based off what, if you, again, you got it's more of a combination therapy. You go into the, go into the neuro suite, we can drop the dose. Yep. If, if you're not, you can't do much, you can't, you may give the 0.4 and it may be all right. Yes. Okay. That seems, that seems legit. All right. So, again, we talked about future future studies. Again, most of this is based off like a couple months. Again, <laughs> you know, things have changed a little, little bit over the last week. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, we may have a lot more answers to some of these questions. If they're like, again, excluding the one that just released recently, what else is coming out to kind of help us understand this question of connect the place and, uh, and, and stroke? So, so there's, a, there's a lot of unknowns about like, um, you know, just like they've done with alteplase, can we can we stretch the window out yeah. with tenecteplase? And so that's going to come out. Um, we're going to look at um, a primary outcome in a test two of your MRS. So okay. so again, the, the legit patient centered outcome of um, 0.25 mix per kg of uh, tenecteplase versus alteplase um, in small vessel occlusions. Um, nor test two part one just or part A uh, just came out. That's a, that was a fun one. I can't <laughs> wait for part B. Um, and then we were looking at one that, that really strikes home is uh, mechanical thrombectomy plus drug or yeah. tenecteplase versus mechanical thrombectomy alone. Yeah. 
what happens. And I think we have to kind of caveat this for a second because, like, mechanical thrombectomy, I think we're, we're using this one word, like, it's been the same the entire time. It's not one intervention to me. Yep. From what I understand, when I talk to my neuro guys, like, what technology do you have now that you didn't have in 2015? And they say, oh, it's completely different. Oh, they've, they've evolved with, with the various brands of their stent retrievers, their process. Are they providing intra-arterial therapy? Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's a lot more to be discovered yeah. with that surgical so process. So I think we have to kind of caveat all this by saying, mechanical thrombectomy, again, going to a neuro suite, you're, yep. you're not getting the same level of care that we did six, seven years ago. You know, so it's really changing, I think, for the people who's making these products. Somebody's making a lot of money. It's not me, but somebody's making a lot of money by doing all this. So I think it's intriguing. Uh, but let's talk about medication safety because, again, when you want to make a, a protocol change, yeah, talk about some of the things we have to consider. So, so by definition, um, TPA encompasses both place and place by definition. They are both tissue plasminogen activators. Okay. And so we, so ISMP is actually not recommending to use the abbreviations TNK or TPA okay. at all. Um, you want to use the, either the full brand or the full generics um, for either of them. Um, and because there are various indications for all of them, right? It's not, not just for the brain. Some, some places don't have cath labs and we're using it for, for the, uh, for STEMIs. But again, there's PE, there's frostbite, there's, you name it, yeah. these lytics are being used. And so maybe we should state the indication on the order so you know which one they're, they're using. Okay. And there's also the possible, um, concern of, about carrying two fibrinolytics in house. Yeah. And so which one do you reach for on the shelf? Is it, is that the, is that what the physician actually wants? Or is that by accident, right? And I think a lot of this, it, it, it becomes unsafe when you talk about verbal orders that we're having in the ED. And I say, I want TPA. Yep. And I think about the times it's 2 in the morning and I'm not there. You know, some shops have pharmacy overnight, but what, what happens when you get a patient that's getting transferred and they say they got TPA? I say, oh, I got 50 milligrams of TPA and I have, a, I have a patient. I'm like, wait a second. Did they actually, oh, they gave 50 milligrams of IV push. This is horrible. So you start wasting resources yep. looking for all this stuff, but it's really, they received the right dose of a different medication. They got, they got TPA. And it just wasn't the actual terminology that you were used to. So I think yeah. a lot of this, again, I've had, I've had things happen bad for, for simpler <laughs> things. So I think it's intriguing that we mentioned that when it was kind of make a protocol yeah. and anyone who's been to committee, whether it's been our safety committee, PNT committee, it's always that one person that just like tries down this pathway. So you better have this on point yep. and figuring out where you're going to do certain indications, certain drug, uh, or just completely switch them over and make sure that all your, your it, it's got to be foolproof so that when you are not there, your cell phone's off, yep. it, everything flows. Yeah. I like, I like to think of it this way. I'm going to offend someone, but it's fine. I like to make everything to where the dumbest person in that profession can't mess it up. Like your worst pharmacist, your worst provider, your worst nurse, your worst everyone. Like they just, they just, they just don't care. The most <laughs> reckless person can't mess it up, and that's what I make my protocols. That'd for. be the safest <laughs> process. Yeah. So we have that, and then we, we mentioned the safety, the operational. Good God. Uh, there, there's there's a bit to consider. Yeah. Um, so something we haven't even discussed yet is Tenecteplase is not FDA approved for ischemic stroke. Mm. All places. Yeah. And so with that being said. Um, the manufacturer is the same, is Genentech for both Altaplace and Tenecteplase. Mm-hmm. Genentech has a fantastic spoilage replacement for Altaplace for ischemic stroke, so that if you mix the drug and then, you know, right before patients like, 
I don't want it, or I now can move. You could actually return the drug to the company, and they give you a vial replacement. Mm -hmm. There's no money lost. If you're using tenecteplase for ischemic stroke, it doesn't work. Just because it's not FDA approved. And so if you mix it and don't administer it, you eat that cost. And that's the tough part because I've probably, this, this, this year, probably eight, ten vows. But it's based on the fact that it's like, oh, don't worry. We can just return it. Yep. And if it's a switchover and your team's not completely with that, yep. and they're just used to that same practice, just mix it, just mix it, just mix it. And if you guys have not been part of a, a process where you have someone sitting there like nervous as crap about getting DBA, it's up. Time is brain, right? It is, it is bad. So I think that's one thing to consider. Well, well, well so, so what if you got rid of the consent piece? Yeah. And so now the patient can't, at the last minute, say, oh, never mind, I don't want it, even yeah. after you already mixed it. And so now, I mean, this, this is a big legal, ethical uh, conundrum, but if, if you're no longer consenting the patient and you just push it and give it, maybe you have less spoilage. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's definitely a challenge. Um, acquisition costs. Like we said, a little bit cheaper, about 25% cheaper for the connect place. Maybe that makes sense. Depends on your volume. Uh, I want to say, the audience is one who actually does this. Start talking about drug costs. Perk my ears. All my admins listening, you know, let me know if it's it's true or false. Um, And then we start talking about this this, this dripping ship. This is something that I think actually happens quite a bit to me. Yeah. Yeah. With with, with the dripping ship, um, I mean, not all these patients present to a comprehensive stroke center, right? You know, I'm, I'm fortunate where I am, where we can quickly assess these patients, get the vis AI and see that they're having uh, an ischemic infarct and we can send them up to the narrow suite. Mm-hmm. Um, but the majority of the country goes to yeah. primary or stroke ready hospitals mm-hmm. where they are uh, lytic trained. Yeah. And so maybe the best process is to give them a quick push mm-hmm. of something so that in their transport, whether it's going helicopter or by ground, we're not having to worry about the um, IV bag or the, the bottle of TPA rather and we have to change out the bottle to the bag and flush the line kind of deal and might be a little bit of coordination. So, so maybe a five second push of a is better. And then it's like access. That's one thing I think about as well. Like I had a patient decompensate in route and I ended up like getting with my provider like, Hey, I only have one IV working right now. Um, he's a hard stick. I have TPA running. Yep. Do I stop this? Like, your pressure's like 60s over 40s. Yes, stop it. But that brings to a problem. Yeah. Everyone's not going to think of that situation exactly. the same way. So I even think about just logistics. Of just, you now have a free IV in case things hit the fan. I'm always thinking, what's yep. the worst thing that can happen? Yep. And I like tie up the line, and they're like, no. Like, you're near, do not stop the TPA. But again, if you push it, you can't take it back. Exactly. It's in you. So it's a little bit of, little bit of both. You, so. You're committed to it. Now a word from our episode sponsor. Have you ever considered a different way of practicing medicine? Whether you're burnt out, need a change of pace, or looking to supplement your income, locum tenens might be a solution for you. And if you consider locum tenens, either full-time or on the side, you probably have a question or two, or 20. Fortunately, Locum Story has the answers you need. It's packed with unbiased information and advice from physicians like you. LocumStory.com has nothing to sell. It's simply a resource for information. You'll find super handy tools that you see locums trends for your specialty, compare different locum agencies, and there's even a quiz to help you decide if locums is right for you. Locum Story has the answers to basic questions like, what is locum tenens? 
to more complex questions about pay range, taxes, licensing, and many others. Locum Story blog also features content and perspectives from actual locum physicians who have firsthand locum experience. Locum Story is the perfect place to start if you want to learn more about locums. Just trying to figure out different things. Talk about kits. I think you know. I think you guys had some of those before. Yeah. I don't know if many other people have kits for their for their TPA, but it's something that we have to consider. And then how do you, which product do you use in each kit? Exactly. So so as as long as you have a like if you're using stroke kits, you have to be able to differentiate them for like your STEMI kit, for instance, right? Pretty much the whole country, if you're going to use a lytic, has gone to a connected place uh, uh, driven STEMI kit. Um, but are you going to have a different kit for? For, for uh, strokes, yeah. and, and so as long as everything is, is appropriately labeled, yeah. is a really big uh, ISMP safety thing. Yeah. That's, that's really something I have to consider as well. So we kind of talk about some of the spoilage, and then like diving deeper into some of these like pharmacoeconomics that he's looking at. Yeah, uh, so, so uh, a, a economic um, uh, analysis of the Extend IA um, TNK study, they found a huge. Um, um, uh, cost savings when you're looking at the country. And so not necessarily on the patient-specific level. They didn't find a cost difference on, on the patient. Um, but when we were looking at uh, an estimation in the country, like the ischemic stroke burden in, in the United States, they found that if you switched every patient uh, who had an LVO over to tenecteplase from alteplase, you could save over $350 million U.S. dollars um, a year. And that's because we're avoiding... Um, neuro IR and we're having um, okay. some some better reperfusions, and so when we, it might make sense yeah. on on a big picture scale. Yeah. Like all the all the admins out there, you know, that's that's, that's yeah. listening. If that's something that you're intrigued with, that may be the way we need to push this yeah. on the C-suite level. I don't wear suits and stuff, so all our C-suite people that's listening, you guys can take a, take a look at that. All right, so looking at 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 all of this, again, we, we talk about a lot. Um, the data may be there to do so, and maybe it's, and if it's not, it's coming. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. We have a, a, a lineup of studies coming. Yeah. Now it's okay. What's what's the big takeaway from all of this? So, so if you have if the patient's having an LVO and they present to a comprehensive stroke center, mm-hmm. we might be going towards the way of STEMI management and say, let's not mess around with the ED. Mm-hmm. Let's go right up to neuroangio yeah. and let's get that clot out. Um, Again, not every place is um, fortunate enough like that to, ha- to have 24-7 um, neuroinventualists. And so what if you show, show up to a prim- uh, primary and you have an LVO? The drip and ship might be the best method, yeah. right? Because now we're getting the best chance of reperfusion, has uh, a little bit cheaper, and it could be uh, safer for an operational issue. And then for the other side, actually the majority of ischemic strokes are going to be that small vessel occlusion. Mm-hmm. I don't know yeah. what, what lytic strategy might work. Yeah. Honestly, there, there's been studies for alteplase versus aspirin. There's, there's going to be a tenecteplase yeah. versus aspirin study coming out. And I'm not convinced. Oh, I'm not. You, know, you know I'm not. But it's just something that we, we, we have to consider looking at all this. So it's, it's intriguing to say I think that's a decent amount of, of, of data and th- that talk about most, most of this. But it's just intriguing to think that I, this is a question that a lot of places are having to discuss now like from a cost standpoint is it deal from yep. an efficacy standpoint and I think the real question becomes in I think we kind of over generalize all of our theories yep. 
across the board, and it needs to be figured out how can we get deeper to like which patient requires which intervention. Because this always says a right drug for the right patient. Absolutely. And that's a wrong drug for a lot of patients. I, I consider uh, medications like this that there are tools, yeah. right? And there's a right time and a place to use a certain tool. Yeah. And there's other times when you should not consider that tool. You know, when, you, when you're a hammer, everything's a nail. A lot of hammering going on when it comes to ischemic stroke. But uh, I think that's that's really the big thing. I think thank you for coming. And mm-hmm. this is something that's special. I think the first of its kind. And anytime I do something the first of the kind, I have to get the, the best of the kind to come to come with me to talk about something that is just unique. And the stroke care I can is very special and near and dear to my heart and brain. No pun intended. But it's definitely an interesting component and yeah, I think overall we should just something we should look at. If anyone's listening or watching, comment on this, what you guys are using, um, what's the therapies that you think makes the most sense. But I think anyone who's like touting that they know exactly what we should yeah. use right now, you know, look at your sideways because I don't think you know yep. what you're talking about. So yep. we, ha- we, we have some stuff that said we could be leaning one way, but I don't think it's a slam dunk yet. But yep. we have done drastic changes with even less data. So it's, it's intriguing to say, but I'm going to, I'm going to wrap it up there. And again, all of you guys watching, this is going to be the first part of our Farm So Hard tour. This is something that is just, you know, unique to me. And I'm, I'm unaware of anyone else who's, who's been doing a, a podcast tour and talking about pharmacy related material, making it fun. Yeah. Please, please let me know if you are doing it. We're sitting there having a good time, drinking some beers. Um, again, all, all this information is going to be on the website at farmsohard.com. Um, and then one thing to look out for, not just this, but we also have our major platform, Pharmacy and Acute Care University. Again, that's gonna, all that stuff's going to be on the website. I don't want to talk too much about that. But again, I'm going to close it out the same way I do every single episode. Uh, you don't have to work in the ED. You don't have to be a pharmacist. Everything you do, make sure you farm so hard. Thank you. Thanks for having me.